You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Our guest on The Real Well Show today was orphaned at age 14 and had to learn very quickly how to become financially literate. Rosalia Gatow ended up studying to be an attorney and worked in the UN for nearly a decade, where she supported millions of women in desperate need of transformative change. For her, this was not a job, it was personal, as her mother was an overseas foreign worker from the Philippines who fell on hard times. Rosalia is the winner of this year's Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards, otherwise known as MAYA, the first global body aiming to solve the problem of weak financial literacy experienced all over the world by finding and celebrating the best solutions aimed at making money better for people. Rosalia, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Hello, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. And you are calling in from Thailand? This is one of my, my it's on my bucket list. <laughs> well, I hope you make it here soon. Um, yes, I'm calling in from Bangkok, Thailand. So it is, uh, I think we're about 11 or 12 hours ahead of you all. So <laughs> you've been empowering women to understand fi- their finances better. So tell me a little bit more about what you, how you do that. Yeah, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of a tech company called Bixie. And at Bixie, the problem that we're trying to solve, um, which I'm sure you've talked about at Real Wealth, is that women don't invest. I know that is a very large blanket statement. Um, I wish it wasn't the case, but in most countries around the world, the U.S. very much included, uh, women are not taking active steps in their investment portfolio. We're seeing a lot of changes. Um, Generationally, we're seeing a lot of changes with millennials and Gen Z, but this is still a huge gap. Now, because it's such a huge gap, we are the largest growth sector in the financial services. So there's a lot of opportunity to get us to really start taking our money seriously, whether that be in real estate or other financial services, index funds, whatever it is, crypto, whatever, pick your poison. The key is we have to start taking action with our finances. And the really key thing is we have to start having our money make money. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to want to inspire other women. Uh, really, it was just making all of the classic financial mistakes that I think every single person, most people, and definitely almost all women make. So a lot of sticking my head in the sand. Um, I, you know, I woke up in my mid thirties after what was ostensibly a successful, you know, legal career, large private law firms. And then I, I I left to join the United Nations and I worked in over a dozen countries around the world. And I was a senior UN official. And, you know, on paper, you look at these type of people, lawyers, doctors, diplomats, and you think, well, of course they have their finances in order. But as I, as became apparent to me, you get a group of nine, 10 women around a table and statistically, you know, nine of them really aren't taking their, their finances very seriously beyond, you know, maybe perhaps maybe, you know, the purchase of a residence of, of some sort. Um, and, and so that really became the inspiration when I found myself in my mid thirties, thinking about taking a career jump and kind of looking at my financial situation and saying, whoa, am I able to make this leap? Um, But beyond that, I think 
at a more, much more personal level beyond just finding myself in this existential crisis. Uh, my mother was an overseas foreign worker from the Philippines, so she was a migrant to America. I'm a first-generation American. Um, and she found herself at a very young age, at, you know, mid mid thirties, my, we're all having that existential crisis. Um, unfortunately diagnosed with a terminal cancer and three young daughters, mm -hmm. myself being the middle of them. And it was, we were very, wow. very lucky because the year prior, her girlfriend, another Filipina foreign overseas foreign worker happened to say, Hey, you should buy this life insurance. And most people don't think about buying the type of life insurance that covers, you know, their families um, at that young age, especially as such a young mother. And I'm so glad she did, because that is ostensibly what, what enabled us to, you know, pay for our undergrad, our university and our education. And so super lucky that she made that one key financial choice. And so many people don't make those decisions. And as a result, find themselves in, you know, really terrible predicaments, despite how they appear on paper. In our household, my husband, we have a similar story where my husband was diagnosed with melanoma, told he had six months to live. Thankfully they were wrong and it had not spread to his oh, liver like they thought. Um, I'm so but we couldn't get, yeah, oh my gosh, but we couldn't get, uh, health and insu uh, life insurance because yeah. he is an extreme athlete. He rock climbs 5,000 feet up, you know, in Yosemite and wow. surfs hurricane waves when he can and, um, you know, skis off cliffs and, you know, he would, he, he couldn't lie. He can't lie. So he would sit down with the insurance agent and tell all these things. And, you know, so the premium was just too high for us to get. <laughs> so I can't, <laughs> I, I, that's what started real wealth is like, okay, we don't have life insurance. So I am the life insurance. I've got to figure this out, but, uh, that's, that's really important. Yeah. So what, what kind of life insurance do you recommend to people to make sure that their families are, are going to be taken care of? So it really depends on, I mean, you know, that the life, there's two different types of life insurance. There's kind of the, there's the how do I say the one that's more of an investment vehicle and it kind of depends on your, on, on your situation, but it can be more expensive. And then there's the one that's kind of your, you know, your stock standard that you pay a nominal fee and it only kicks in if something really disastrous happens. Uh, most people tend to choose the latter because it's super affordable. Um, but some people tend to choose the former, which, you know, especially when it comes to certain tax brackets, like I, one can understand that. So it really depends on what your needs are. Like all investments, so much depends on how much do you have to spend and really what do you want to gain out of it? What's your objective? I think so often, you know, I always say start with the what. So what is it that you want to achieve and then figure out the how um, because I feel like so often people just look at the limitations without looking at the goal first. And the goal is really what you're after. But I think, you know, in the, in the case of what, I think it's so interesting, Kathy, that you and I both started these, you know, financial literacy platforms based on, you know, these, these, these terminal diagnoses, we found ourselves basically in the worst case scenario. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what we really want to, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, speaking for you, but I think what we really want to advise our audience or not even advice, just share with our audience is like, don't wait till it gets 
to this terrible, terrible, terrible point when it becomes too late. Like there are so mm. many things you can do beforehand. And that's why, you know, I think one of my, my plugs in almost every single thing I do is like, look, if you have children, you need to just pick up a life insurance. Doesn't matter what it is, get the $10 one, get the $20 one, just pick one up. And to your point, if you are uninsurable, because there are many people who are, who are not insurable, then there needs to be proactive steps taken to figure out what could happen in my worst case scenario. It's unlikely, but it happens. And you're speaking literally to two women who face the worst case scenario <laughs> and had to figure out a way out of it. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. And when you're young, you just think every, you're invincible and nothing can, can happen and you've got many years ahead of you. Uh, I, in, in our case also, we had the wrong health insurance and we didn't know how to read the fine print. Um, it didn't cover, it didn't cover the cancer. So anyway, um, very, very important that you understand your insurance policies and, um, you know, who, who can help you with that? Because it's, it's not written really for us to understand. It's written maybe for an attorney like you to understand. In my previous life, um, attorneys, there's a lot of documents around and I think the obfuscation to some extent is one of the objectives, right? Um, so I think that, you know, don't, don't be discouraged because you will never be able to sit around and read the fine print on every single product that you're ever going to buy. Nobody, nobody has that kind of time. I think the important thing is joining these communities, whether it's the real wealth community, the Bixie community, um, and finding the the sources that they validate that help read those fine print. That's the, that's the, that's the homework that, that we do on, you know, in for other people. So I think that's the most important thing that people can do. I often, we often get questions. So we do a lot of um, events, whether it's online events or in real life events. And everybody always asks like, what should I do? Like, where do I, how, how do, how do I start? And we always say just, you have to start now. So every investor, every successful investor says you have to start right now because time is really against you. Right. Um, and you have to just do one thing. So, you know, you don't have to jump into reading the terms and conditions of your life insurance today, though, obviously you should, everything you sign, you should be reading it, but we know nobody does it right. Or like most people don't have the time to do it, but what you can do is join communities where you can ask these type of questions. You can seek this type of advice and you can, you know, validate your understandings. And, and I think that that's really important beyond, you know, what I, what I don't want people to do is just. We can't have 8 billion disparate conversations of everybody, you know, DYOR doing their own research, right? Like there are, there are groups of people who, and, and companies and organizations that are doing a lot of this homework for you. So I think that's really important to find a community that resonates with you um, and, and join them. You said earlier that women behave differently than men when it comes to finances. What do you mean by that? So there is quite a lot of re research and evidence that shows that women and men behave differently when it comes to money. Um, so just a little background. I did my master's in behavioral economics. Um, and so I was always really keen on when, when, when I see 
certain behavior. So, so the whole premise of behavioral economics is that, you know, rational choice economics, which is the infrastructure under which we all live, um, assumes that all of us make decisions to optimize our benefit, right? We all make decisions that are going to put us in a better place. However, we know that this is not the case. All, you know, we see people smoking, we see people buying gym memberships that they don't use. Like we know that this is not always the case. And so behavioral economics grew from this, this recognition that like people still smoke, people, you know, don't use their gym memberships, people take credit cards with usurious rates, what's happening there, right? Um, and so when I see a gap that says anywhere between 70 and 90% of women, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their education, don't bother investing, like, that just rung a bell in my head that said, hmm, there maybe there's behavioral reasons for this, because clearly we know that this is what would optimize our benefit, but we're not doing it. Um, so there's a few things that women do that is very different behaviorally than men. And a lot of it stems from a lack of confidence. So uh, we lack confidence. Um, and because we, we lack confident or we lack confidence because we think we lack knowledge. So there are these global exams that kind of look at financial literacy ranges. And I'm sure you can imagine men. So the, the reality is women and men are only about two points, two standard points away from each other when it comes to financial literacy. But when it comes to perception of their literacy, it's vastly disparate. So like, you know, 30% of women think they have the requisite confidence and, and literacy to take financial actions or take investment actions. Whereas like 70% of men think that they do. So again, you're seeing this perception of one is overestimating their knowledge and one is vastly underestimating their knowledge. So that's something that women really do. And we all know Unfortunately, investment to some extent is a confidence game, right? So if you lack that, that that's, that's going to be an issue. But we do a lot of other things. So another thing we tend to do is we talk to other women rather than financial experts about our finances and decisions to take. So this is also in the, you know, in the research, it evidences this. Now, this wouldn't be a problem if all women were investing and we're all, you know, financial experts and we could offer advice. But when a very small percentage of it's a bit of the blind leading the blind, right? So, but knowing that this is a behavioral trait that I'm going, I'm more likely to take action by talking to you, Kathy, than I am by talking to, you know, my uh, a portfolio manager. We can harness that. We can find a Kathy who is also a portfolio manager to help, you know, to befriend and help advise and, you know, and, and coach uh, female users, right? So, so that's, those are the type of behavioral distinctions that women have. And, and for example, one of the reasons we use gamification is because we can build confidence over time slowly, right? Um, so those are the type of things that we can, that, that, that we can do to, to impact the behavioral obstacles that many women have when it comes to money. But there's also like really interesting anthropological roots that, you know, I, I won't go into too much now, but, you know, that kind of stem back to like hunters, gatherers versus us being in caves. So there's this really interesting behavior that exists in almost every country in the world. They have variations of what the name is. My mother's from the Philippines. My father's from Kenya. They have the same practice in both of these women's circles all over the world. And what they do is like every month, 
10 women put money in a pot and then every month that woman gets that money. It's like these saving circles. And the fact that it's such a globally <laughs> ubiquitous, no, really, and it's always women. It's just this globally ubiquitous practice. And again, stems from some hunted and gathered. And then we had to figure out how we were going to parse out these resources over, you know, a scarce period. Right. So there's a lot of these behavioral quirks and we just have to make finance work for us. Right. Um, and right now it's up to us to figure out how we're going to enter into financial services. But similarly, the financial services need to start saying, women seem to like saving circles. Why don't we have an investment product that taps into that type of behavior? Right. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, in, in America, it may be a little different, at least when it comes to real estate, because perhaps women mm -hmm. understand, I know for me, um, yes. real estate makes more sense. If I go, if I would go to the financial planner office and just, I couldn't grasp. Uh, it, it was just too ethereal. It was like just out there. Uh, yep. Whereas homes are tangible and we can see them and feel them and, you know, understand it. It's simpler. Uh, in, in America in 2022, Pew Research said that single women owned 58% of the nearly 35 million homes owned by unmarried Americans, while single men own just 42%. So single women actually own more homes than single man, men, which is, yeah. which is fascinating. That ex absolutely resonates. So women do tend to, when they do invest, it's going to be more tangible products. So homes are one big investment area. And I don't know if you can guess the second, like an asset class off the top of your head. Gold? Exactly. No. That is one of the Gold. most okay. popular. <laughs> the two things we invest in. Exactly. <laughs> Gold and homes, right? Fast, so no, absolutely. That, that again speaks yeah. to behavior. I think you made a really interesting point, which is another reason why there is was an ur there is a sense of urgency that we have at Bixie. Single women, like you said, are buying up the majority of of available real estate, at least in the U.S. This, I, I'm not sure the reason being, but I'm guessing it has to do with a significant demographic shift that's happened in the world. It was UN Women a few years ago that reported, we're seeing a drastic reduction in women getting married and seeing a drastic reduction in women having children across the world. So it's not just, you know, the Western developed world, but, you know, from like Lagos to mm -hmm. Los Angeles, this is a global phenomenon for, for particularly millennial women, who, by the way, are 42 years old right now. I'm one of those, all the way down to, to, to Gen Z. And this is, and of course, you know, th this is, th there is, the, because of this demographic shift, ladies, I know, you know, we can all do it for ourselves, but what this means is the onus of our financial futures post our working lives are going to be entirely on us, right? So, so entirely. And if, and as we know, life expectancy is extending, um, you know, your working life has limitations. So there's a chance you could be alive for like 40 more years after you stop working. And how are we going to afford that? So absolutely, real estate is a really critical part and arguably reflective of this demographic shift of women having to sort out their own, you know, situations. But we need to be doing more and more of that. So it's not just the, the real estate of your residence. There has to be investment real estate or gold or pick any you know, investment asset. But since we're going to be entirely responsible for you know, the rest of our post-working lives, um, I think it's really important that you know, that's a really important point that you make. And, and that's a sense of urgency we have at Bixie. It's like, 
what is it? Women are statistically 80% more likely to retire in poverty, regardless of their socioeconomic background. Um, so, so that's what we're really pushing mm. up against. Uh, like, you know, we think we're young forever. We think these things aren't going to affect us, but we're living longer and women live longer than men too. So there's that. Yeah. That's why when, when people are in their fifties and even sixties and haven't bought a home yet, it's like, it's not too late. You can have that home paid off in 30 years or sooner. And, and if you're 80, when that home pays off, well, wouldn't that be nice, you know, to yeah. not have that mortgage at the time. Um, or even if you're 90, if people are really yeah. living as long as they are now, they might be not living at home anymore, but a lot of people are. And it could be that in 30, 40 years from now, um, it's, it's, you're going to have the kind of technology that would help you to live at home longer because you would, you know, maybe have a robot running around with you, you know, <laughs> following you around. Uh, so we will see the the world is going to change a lot over the next 30 years. Absolutely. Well, Rosalia, it's been just uh, such a pleasure to have you here. I dream of going to Thailand where you're living. I will look you up because next year is a big birthday year for me and I am going to finally do oh. it. I'm going to go to Thailand. Yes. You will be absolutely. Why welcome. do you live there? Um, I live here because. Thank you. <laughs> I live here honestly because that existential crisis I had in my mid thirties, I figured out how to how to manage the finances of it because my dream was really to live here. So I've been here for seven years almost, and I just had a gut feeling, and my gut feeling was right. I ended up you know, getting married here and having my children here and doing most and, you know, starting my company here. Um, so it turned out to be a really good gut decision. Uh, but before I drop off, I do want Fun. to maybe plug like how we were introduced. And that was through um, the Mon uh, Money Awareness and Inclusion Awards. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the founders of the, the Mayas, which really bring to light all of these efforts, like what you're doing with Real Wealth, what I'm doing with Bixie, which is about bringing financial awareness and inclusion to traditionally marginalized groups, whether they be women, whether they be, you know, very low income people. Um, it's really important that everybody realizes that finance truly is actually for all. And if you're not taking steps towards it, you're kind of left out of the capitalist machine that we all live in. So, um, so again, thank you so much for, for, yeah. for having me. <laughs> oh, I, I love that you said that my, my daughter has a real heart for children and women and her junior year of high school, she went to Thailand on a mission, uh, with operation smile and, uh, oh, it was kind of in one of the, yeah, yeah. It, they do all kinds of surgeries, but maybe cl mainly cleft palate uh, because some of these babies can't even be fed because they, yeah. they can't swallow. But um, she she went there to one of the really poorer regions of Thailand. And these women walked for weeks, walked for weeks with their children to try to get these surgeries. And they waited in long lines and, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't even many were turned away. Uh, and, and again, she had such a heart for these, these mothers trying to take care of these children when they already, but they barely take care of themselves. So, um, it's, it's just a, I'll, I'll put a plug out there for Operation Smile too. And another charity that we've been giving to that is really helping empower women with small business. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, well, you take care of those little new baby twins and get some thank sleep. You. I know it's midnight there. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Well Show. It was really a pleasure. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. I, too, have been inspired to inspire others for over 20 years now. That's why we have over 900 free webinars at realwealth.com to help you on your financial journey. I'm Kathy Becky. Thanks for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.